And if you will, turn with me in Acts chapter 5, to Acts chapter 5 this morning. And we're going to talk a little bit about small groups. Uh, The title of the sermon is a call to discipleship. The whole thrust of this has to do with the small group ministry that we have in this church. But it's not just the fact that we have a small group ministry. There's a purpose in that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And also, I would remind you that actually last month, on September the 11th, ten years ago, we actually launched the small group ministry for this church. It was my privilege to be called by you in December of 2004 to come and minister in this fashion. It was uh, the blessing beyond comprehension that I can only say that uh, I just could never understand how God could could use someone as uh, weak and as uh, imperfect as I am. Uh, but if there's any question about my imperfections, so you can talk with Rita. She can verify that with you. Uh, she knows them well after 50 years of marriage. But nevertheless, it's my privilege this morning to stand before you for the first time since I was ordained as a minister of the gospel back in August the 30th in this church, which is the Blessings beyond my, my wildest dreams and, and prayers and my imagination. I cannot even comprehend how God could do such a thing and give me the opportunity, the opportunity to stand here this morning and to preach the word. So let's look at Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 42. And it says very simply, And every day in the temple and from house to house, They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. From house to house, they kept on doing this. And if you flip over to to Acts chapter 12, also in verse 12 of that same chapter, it goes on to say, in talking about Peter, when he had realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying the house of Mary, where they gathered together and were praying. And so we have kind of an idea of what the early church did in terms of the meeting. We also know that they met in the temple. And at the uh, Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter preached his sermon, and 3,000 people were saved that day. Uh, But they didn't have a cathedral in which to worship. The, The temple in which they worshiped was the Jewish temple, built by Herod the Great, and yet at that time, for the most part, they met together in houses, and so there were house churches, people gathering in small groups, uh, ministering to one another, and proclaiming Christ and worshiping Him as the Messiah and Savior of all. There are some myths that we're going to talk about this morning, and Several months ago, once we talked about this with our small group leaders, there are many myths actually relative to small group ministry, and I'd like to just clarify a couple of them. The first one is that small group ministry really is an appropriate ministry only for the mega church, the big churches. And as a matter of fact, if you, uh, you think back about that, there's certainly some evidence that that's the case, but small groups are more than just ministry for megachurches. Cho's church in South Korea has tens of thousands 
of small groups that meet on a regular basis. Tens of thousands, there's hundreds of thousands of people who belong or are members of that church. The same thing has happened in El Salvador. And in terms of the ministry of small groups had just utterly exploded. And when you look back, you say, okay, well, we launched our ministry ten years ago. And we had initially, as we began that small group ministry thrust, had ten small groups. And today, we have six. That seems to be the opposite of what essentially we think about with small groups being something for megachurches. But, you know, when you think about it, over the, the overwhelming majority of churches, especially in North America, are churches of 100 people or less. Actually, even more so, churches of 50 people or less. We are rather typical of the church population today when you stop to think of it. But the fact is, is that the myth is that small group ministry really is designed for the big mega church and the multiplication that comes when church, when uh, small group after small group multiplies and begins to uh, to minister throughout not only that church but throughout the area in which they uh, reside. That's not the case with us, and there's a reason for that because God doesn't work the same way in every culture and every country and every nation that He works with as as it is with us. We're different. We're unique. And the movement of the Holy Spirit is what's really key to this, because that's what's transformed some of these megachurches, like the one in South Korea, uh, into the kind of uh, uh, tremendous growth engines that they have been. That's another myth that takes place. That is that cell group ministry or small group ministry really is a fad. Now, some of you are old enough to understand and remember bell-bottoms. And I'm sure some of you probably remember, not too long ago, of the Walkman. Remember, it used a cassette tape. Who uses a cassette tape for anything? It's almost like a... (laughs) There's a few. There's almost like having that six-track tape. I remember having, or it was eight-track, eight-track tape. That tells you how defaulty my memory is. Uh, I had a 1970, uh, I think it was, a Mustang... And we had an eight-track tape recorder, and I had a nice collection of uh, eight-track tapes, which uh, came to naught. Uh, they were only good for uh, re- recycling. But the fact is, is that small group ministry is not a fad. Some people think it is. They think, well, this is something that's kind of come and gone. And we look back at some of the history of this, and I must have read about 20 different books and in the interim from the time that you brought me on board in December of 2004 until we launched that small group ministry in September of, 2000, uh, of uh, 2005. And basically, I can remember reading those books and I thought, my goodness gracious, this, this is going to mean tremendous uh, growth for our church. And the next slide kind of indicates that. The growth is what is expected. That's another myth that takes place. Growth is going to be the thing we're going to see. We're going to see an explosion here at the Alliance Bible Church as one after another small group ministry kind of expands and multiplies, and it didn't happen. And that's a myth to think that that's going to happen. You know, growth is caused by Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is going to build his church. Not small group ministry, not a particular small group minister, not small group leaders, not a pastor, not anyone, but Jesus is the one who builds the church. And all we need to do is be obedient to him and do as he leads us and let him do the rest at his good time. So it is not synonymous with a growth strategy, though it sometimes is thought of being just that and only that. There's another myth, and that it's just about fellowship. And true, fellowship is a great blessing that we have through our small group ministry. Most of you who are active in our small group ministry have been members almost from the very beginning, for ten years. I remember the, the group that, I'm, that I'm, a, I'm a leader of uh, is a blessing to me beyond any of, of my wildest dreams and what fantastic fellowship we enjoy with one another in every sense of the word. But it's not just about fellowship. There's more to it than that. And we're going to talk very specifically. It's not just about Bible study, regardless of how good that might be. It is essentially about one thing and one thing alone. It's about discipleship. And this little illustration you see here of Jesus with his disciples, perhaps depicting the time in the upper room when they were meeting there and he was talking to them and, and, and really giving them one of the most glorious sermons he probably ever preached about abiding in him and what blessings would come if we are obedient in doing this. And he taught... Those twelve that became eleven after the betrayal of Judas, but it was a very specific way that he ministered to a small group. And matter of fact, what we say is that small groups ought not be probably more than twelve. That's a good number, and there's a good reason for that. But there's a model here I want you to look at for just a moment. And that's the model that Jesus himself gave for discipleship. Jesus is the one who taught his disciples. And not only this, in Matthew 10, verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. In Matthew 11:1, 1, he says, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. In Matthew 20:17. It says, as Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And in Mark 10, 32, he took the twelve disciples aside and to tell him what was going to happen to him when he got to Jerusalem. In John 6, 40, it says, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you was a devil? And so we have one example of another in the Gospels of Jesus taking his twelve disciples aside. And we see by this model, especially as we looked at the Transfiguration, that he had three men in particular, Peter, John, and James, that he used for specific reasons to, uh, for some special times of, of revelation. And then the twelve together, the eleven that was left after Judas's betrayal, and then when he reappointed, as it tells us in Acts chapter 1, one to take the place of Judas, well, we have the twelve being ministered to by Jesus himself. 
And that's a significant thing to understand. It talks more than just about 12 when it comes about his disciples. We know that in Acts, at his ascension, there were about 500 people available or there to witness that ascension of Christ into heaven. And we have others' examples at Pentecost and many other places where there were more than just 12. But with 12, Jesus had a special relationship and he took them aside to teach them and to use them. And then they began, as you read through the book of Acts, to minister to others and build upon that. And that's the verses of Scripture that we read this morning from chapter 5 and chapter 12, where people were gathering from house to house. Now, there's a particular reason for this. And I want you to understand that there's a purpose in our small group ministry and our whole thrust towards small groups, and it's this. It's more than fellowship. That's for sure. It's more than just fellowship. Jesus had more than just fellowship with the twelve disciples. He taught them. He made them disciples. He ministered to them in very special ways. He revealed things to them that he could only reveal to an intimate group of people at the time. And they learned from him for three years during his ministry. So there's more than just fellowship here involved. It's more than just Bible study. As we had said before, we think of uh, small groups as being a time of Bible study. It's more than just that. In essence, it is the time in which we make disciples. As Jesus himself, as you saw in that model we showed a few slides ago, was making his disciples. He was teaching them. He was instructing them. He was encouraging them. He was praying for them. He was demonstrating to them the power by which they would live according to the Holy Spirit. Let's talk a little bit more in depth about disciple-making. And in essence, the first point I want to make here is that if we're talking about making disciples, it is something that is done intentionally, not accidentally. It's not a byproduct of something else. It's very focused. It's very plain and simple and straightforward. It's about disciple-making. And in order to do that, it has to be done intentionally. So I would encourage you, and we're going to talk about that later on in this sermon, but I'm going to encourage you to be intentional about your decisions to be disciples of Jesus Christ. It's something that's very serious. As we were reading during the the response of reading this morning, Uh, It's a very serious thing, discipleship is. It's not something to be taken lightly. Also, it is the purpose for which to be made like Jesus. And in essence, what we're talking about really is our sanctification. That's becoming like Jesus. That's being molded and shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us so that we are reflecting him more and more day by day as we live. We're becoming more Christ-like, more like Jesus. And also, it's important for us to reemphasize that it has to be done in relationship. By the way, just think about this. Jesus did not instruct his disciples one-on-one. He did not just take Peter aside and give him instructions, and then he took John aside and gave him instructions, and then, and then Andrew and all the others individually. No, he did it 
collectively within that small group for a purpose. It was intentional. It was to be to make them disciples that reflected him as their leader and Messiah and Savior and Lord. And it also had to be done in a relationship of a small group of men together being molded and shaped by Jesus Christ. That's an important thing for us to understand. We're not islands to ourselves. We are more than that. Let's look at something else for a moment. When we founded this ministry, and you'll find in your study guide, the vision mission statement for the small group ministry. It was my privilege to have worked with Ron, with Dean, and also with Rowena, Steve Erickson at the time, when he was here. And we must have met over a period of about uh, six months, uh, a dozen times if not more than that, probably closer to 20 times hammering out how we would form the whole small group ministry and how we would go about implementing it so that we accomplished the purpose for which God had called us to do. And in essence, let me just reflect in that statement of faith or statement of purpose that you'll see that we are a group of connected cell churches or cell groups that meet purposely on a regular basis to do essentially four things. We meet to equip one another for the work of ministry. We meet to build and to love one another up in Christ. We meet to know him intimately. And we meet to reach out to a lost and dying world in obedience to the Great Commission. Now, that's the reason we're connected. We are a connected group of of cell groups, and then this next illustration shows you the individual cell groups connected to the church as a whole, but there's a verse, there's a verse of scripture that reflects this well, and found in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 25, and let me just give you an essence of it. It says, for the body is not one member, but many, but now there are many members, but one body. There should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Therefore, we have really one body, this local church. And our small groups are part of that. We are connected together through this one thing. This is why we gather here this morning, to celebrate and worship Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But also we meet on a regular basis for the purpose of discipleship. And that's what it's all about. There are four essentials I want to talk about briefly this morning that have a lot to do with why we meet and how we meet and what we do during the process of that meeting or what we should be doing. I would hope every one of our small groups does just this. The whole thing begins with Jesus. He is the focus of it all. Nothing else but Jesus really is the focus of this. And so therefore, as we begin with him, it's always important that we are trying to, striving to know him intimately, Jesus at the center of the whole thing. Until we all attain to the unity of the flesh and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, it says in Ephesians 4.13. And that is one of the things that we do. 
there are some other things we do. And it begins with, I think, four different directions, and we call them the essentials, uh, upward and uh, outward and forward and, uh, and on to this. I'll explain this in greater detail, but the, fir- the first one begins with the thrust that we meet together to look upward to Jesus, to look to God, and to begin to pray to Him. And therefore, prayer is an essential part of what we do in a small group. And that's why it's important for you to be a part of it, that we might be praying for one another. Now, prayer is the way we know Jesus intimately. That's the way we get to know God daily as our prayer life. But we also need to be praying for one another collectively together as we minister to people in that way. It says in James 5, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. And also in Ephesians 6.18 it says this, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance, perseverance and petition for all the saints. We ought to be praying for one another. And the more practical, the most practical way we can do this is in a small group environment where we begin praying for one another in essence. And in Matthew 22, verse 37, it says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Now, that's what Matthew 22, verse 20, 37 says, and that's the upward focus upon him, the, great, the greatest commandment, as Jesus said, the essence of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that is the focus of our prayer, not only upon God, but upon one another, that we lift up our brother and sister in Christ to God as we intercede on their behalf. There's the inward focus, as we call it. And that regards the relationships. We focus inward, meaning on our relationships with one another, by fulfilling the Great Commission to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus said, and the second is like it. This is Matthew 22, verse 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus said more than that, and we talked about that in the responsive reading this morning, as Cindy led us. It says in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He went on to say in Romans 12, 10, through Paul, the apostle, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote the church, he said, in in chapter 4, verse 9, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, but you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And in 1 Peter 1, 22, it says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. So small groups offer us, as our mission statement says, the opportunity to love and to build up one another in Christ Jesus. And that's the way we can begin doing it. 
You know, and I can testify, having been a member of this same small group for ten years, what precious fellowship we have with one another, but what fervent love we have for one another. And what a blessing it is to be loved by brothers and sisters in Christ in that same way. And so the greatest practice of love comes with that opportunity that we have on a regular basis, hopefully weekly, to meet together and to love one another in obedience to the commission and the commandment that Christ has given us. There's another aspect of this. That's the outward thrust. The essentials of what we do in small group ministry begins with evangelism. We said we are to, to reach out to a lost and dying world in obedience to the Great Commission. And Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, but particularly go make disciples of all nations. And this is an effective way by which we do this through the outward reach of our small groups to ask people to come and join us to assimilate people who come into this church and to make them part of a small group so that they might learn to do all these things that disciples do for one another, to pray for one another, to love one another, to build up one another, to encourage one another in the faith in every aspect of the way we, which we live day by day. Acts 1.8 says, and by the way, this is what John Stumbo says as respect to what his desire is to see the Christianary, the Christian and Missionary Alliance to become essentially an Acts 1.8 people. And Acts 1.8 says this, but, I, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, Samaria and even the uttermost parts of the earth. So our thrust should be reaching out to people in obedience to the great commission that we have in that. Lastly, another essential. And that begins forward. As we move forward, we're trying to make disciples. This is about discipleship. And this was not a diagram that I came up with. This was actually designed by Ralph Neighbor who probably wrote more books on small groups until Joel Kometsky, a former Christian Missionary Alliance missionary to Ecuador, who now I would say probably stands as the foremost expert uh, and man with great knowledge and insight into small group ministry, more so than anyone else I know. He's probably written about now 20 books on small group ministry, every aspect, uh, aspect of it imaginable. But... Ralph Neighbor Jr., back when I was beginning to prepare for this ministry, uh, had, had come forward with this particular diagram, and I thought it captured the essence of what small group ministry should be about. Upward. Outward. Forward. Into Christ. Outward, forward, inward, upward, I should say. That's the essence of what we're there for. And in in Matthew 20, 20, in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, For the purpose of teaching them to observe all things as I've commanded you. 
That's the purpose of what we ought to be doing. That's why we make disciples. Is not disciples, or not disciples, I should say, those who are reflective of their master, Jesus Christ? Are they not people who walk like him, who speak according to the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling them, who obey him, who exemplify him in every aspect of their life? Are not those who are really doing this his disciples? Of course they are. So the essence of our whole small group ministry is this. It's found in the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second's like unto this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's also found in the Great Commission. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. That's what it's all about. That's why Jesus is the center of the whole thing. In closing, I'd like to just say this thing to you. That all of us, all of us, every one of us, have been called to be his disciples. If we profess belief in Jesus Christ... If we claim to be followers of him, who is our Savior and Lord, we are claiming to be his disciples. And if we are his disciples, then we need to act like disciples. We need to be disciples in every sense of the word. It's more than an individual experience. That's why there are small groups. That's why Jesus had twelve. He didn't do it individually with Peter, James, and John and then Bartholomew, and so on and so on. He did it in a small group. He ministered to them in that way. And that's the way you can minister to one another. You have been given spiritual gifts. Every single solitary individual here who's a believer in Jesus Christ, who has the Spirit of God indwelling him or her, has been given spiritual gifts for a purpose. Now, this morning, very few of you have had an opportunity to minister to one another with your spiritual gifts. I'm having an opportunity to stand here before you and to do so. There's others that have come here this morning that have had an opportunity to share some of their spiritual gifts, but very few, in essence, have had a chance to interact with one another, to encourage one another, and to love one another, and to build up one another in Christ with respect to the spiritual gifts that we've been given by the Holy Spirit, sovereignly as God wills. So I encourage you to exercise those spiritual gifts, and there's a perfect place to do that. And you can find out what those are. In this coming year, we're going to finally come up with Equip 301, which has to do with our ministry. Membership was 101, maturity was 201, and when we talk about 301, it's going to relate to essentially the gifts that we've been given by the Holy Spirit and how we might build up and encourage one another in Christ and minister to one another to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of service, for the work of ministry. And you're going to have an opportunity to do that. And if you're in question about what those spiritual gifts are, we have an inventory that you can go through and you'll know by the time you take that, what your spiritual gifts are. 
And you can begin using those spiritual gifts for the purpose that God intended for you to use them for to begin with. So, it's more than an individual experience. It's a collective experience that comes as we are assembled together because we're members of the body of Christ. And as that scripture reference I referred to a while ago, we are parts of that. Each part has its part to play. And if you are going to play a part in doing the ministry that God's given you and charged you with doing, you need to be a part of a small group ministering to one another, encouraging one another, learning to love one another in Christ. It also requires a commitment of the will. And sometimes this is the most difficult struggle of all. You see, God has made us free will creatures. We have our own will. We can choose whether we want to serve him or not. We can choose whether we want to obey him or not. Just as we choose whether or not we want to believe him and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I encourage you this morning to make a choice to willfully do this, to say, I will play my role in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not an island to myself. I want to be a part of what God has designed in his, his infinite wisdom from the very beginning. That we interact with one another. We're not islands to ourselves. We're not just charged with meditating by ourselves upon the scripture and praying by ourselves alone. And having no interaction with people except perhaps, to, as you say, maybe to witness. But we have a role to play in the body of believers. That is this local church called the Alliance Bible Church of McHenry. And you need to be playing that role that God has given you, whatever it might be. And he's gifted you accordingly. I'd encourage you to make that commitment. And then to put your decision into action. Not only to choose to do it, but to actually do it. That's what Ashley prayed this morning when she said, make us doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word. In agreement, I hear, I acknowledge, I say, I amen. But to actually put into action, become a part of it. And then I'm, I'm asking you this morning. You're about to enter into a unique experience if you want to be obedient to the Lord come January the 4th, 2016. And that is to read through the new covenant of grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ, His Son. And when you do so, you're going to be blessed abundantly beyond anything you could pray or ask. And if you do this, you're going to be a blessing to those that participate with you. And you're going to have an opportunity to not go into a great theological discussion. That's not what the purpose of it. And by the way, small group leaders are not called to be theologians. If that were the case, I would be immensely disqualified. But the fact is, God, God has given us gifts so that we can minister to one another. And so I encourage you to be a part of this opportunity forthcoming beginning in January of next year. And to participate in a small group, whether it's one already formed or one that's going to be formed for the purpose of going through this reading over eight weeks period of time. Choose to be a part of this ministry for eight weeks and be blessed. There are, there's evidence out there, by the way, 
We're not saying this just based on our own hunches. But there is evidence shared with us, especially at the church uh, in uh, uh, Bloomingdale. Uh, Bill Calvin, who was the very first Alliance pastor that we met when we moved here in 1986, has given great testimony about this particular Bible study time, this community Bible experience, was an incredible blessing to the church in Bloomingdale. And I know, now we're not trying to replicate a program, by the way. We're just talking about reading God's Word together and discussing it in general and understanding what God has said to us through the new covenant of His grace, through Jesus Christ, and to make it a part of our life. So I ask you, and I'm pleading with you, I implore you, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you do this for your own good. That you participate in this, not only just for yourself, but for others as well. That you become a part of a ministry that's not designed to be extraneous. It's not designed to be something else to do. We're not just another night of the week that we meet, or some other day of the, or time of the week that we meet, but it's a time set aside for a purpose that we might minister to one another, to love one another, and to build up one another in Christ, to know Him more intimately than we've ever known before, to equip one another for the work of ministry which God has called us for, the calling we walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling by which you have been called, and to reach out to a lost and dying world in obedience to the Great Commission. That's the essence of our purpose. That's why we exist. That's why God created us. And we're not just asking you to do something to take up your time. We're asking you to do something that will be an immense blessing to you as you get into the Word and as you share with one another and as you love one another as Christ has commanded us to do. So my appeal to you this morning is to be a part of this experience forthcoming. To be a member of this body of believers, and ever since the word, you have a role to play. God has gifted you accordingly. And he wants you to be a blessing, not only to the church as a whole, but to each and every individual part of that church, every part of the small group in which you might have the opportunity to witness. So that is my appeal to you this morning. It's blatant, isn't it not? I think it is, probably, no doubt. But I'm asking you... Not for just my sake. No, or not even just for Jesus' sake. I'm asking it for your sake. That you would avail yourself of a blessing. A great, wonderful blessing. And so we ask this morning that you think about this next hymn that Ron's going to come and lead us in. Wherever he leads, I go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Come on.